Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to HBF this morning. It is good to see you. And if you're joining us online, we're glad to have you. Shout out to uh, all the folks uh, from HBF and all of our friends and, and those maybe joining us for the first time. We're glad to have you here with us at HBF. And uh, especially for uh, today's, uh, today's occasion. So uh, I'm going to introduce to you a, a very special person at HBF here in just a moment. But I want to explain a little something to you because I know we have a lot of guests um, and a lot of uh, regular attenders now. Not everybody here is a member. Maybe you don't totally get the culture of HBF yet. So one of the things about HBF that we're really uh, excited about being engaged in is missions. And that word missions, it can be applied a lot of different ways because our, even our vision statement here is to equip the saints of God and the mission of God to accomplish uh, – I'm sorry, equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. So, you know, when you think about the mission, what is that? And that's what everybody needs to know. And that's simply to take the gospel from, uh, you know, everywhere, literally, to, to win the world for Christ, share the love of Christ, make disciples of all nations, and literally grow people to the point that they can reproduce fruit, reproduce churches, and carry forth the mission of God uh, to propagate the good news of Jesus Christ uh, all over the earth. That's what we do here at HBF is make disciples. That's why we always talk about discipleship. Discipleship one, discipleship two, HBI, all of those things. That's kind of our that's kind of our curriculum. That's our process for making disciples. Uh, but we also want to have a culture of discipleship that happens throughout the church body. And uh, and one of the things that <clears throat> we want to see is God uh, save people, grow people, and then send people. And of course, many of you know we've sent uh, people literally uh, to Brazil. Uh, we sent Harold Hatman to Brazil. We've sent. David Pierce to Shiloh, we sent Brad McGuire to Clinton. So sending is part of that. Uh, as um, um, <coughs> uh, his name just escaping me, uh, Clark. Uh, no, not Brian, his uncle. Paul Clark, thank you. Paul Clark says, "If you're not if you're not doing missions, you're not doing discipleship," and that's true as a church. But individually, if you're not if you're not aware of what's going on in regard to God's mission, both where you live and around the world, you really aren't growing as a disciple because you really got to have an awareness of that. So one of the things that we do here at HBF, and if you look in the bulletin, there's all these prayer teams, and we, we try to be very clear about making sure that we support missions prayerful, prayerfully then <clears throat> also financially, over and above what HBF gives, uh, which Heartland itself, uh, the church, all the, you know, 11% of what comes in goes out to missions to supported missionaries. But over and above that, when people give to missions, uh, as you guys designate, that goes to missionaries as well and to different projects and so on and so forth. So, um, and so that's exactly what we ought to be doing as a church. We've been doing that from the first day till now. So we, we not only support it prayerfully, but financially. And then there's the piece of going physically. Right, so just in a couple of weeks, we'll literally get a team together, and I know some of you guys are still praying about that. And I'm praying God continues to fill the team because we need people on the team to Mammoth. But taking a trip to Mammoth and helping during VBS up, having a VBS so their conference goes off is also part of missions. So missions is is about getting the gospel where it needs to go, and there's a lot of ways to do that, and uh, we can all have a part in it. Not everybody has to be the sent one that goes off as a missionary, but we can all have a part in praying for missionaries. Uh, financially supporting missionaries, <clears throat> and then at Heartland, there's there's trips. Uh, some of you took a trip to the parking lot yesterday, and that helped advance the mission of God right here in Cass County. And I got to say, man, thank you so much. That was a great effort on your part, and I appreciate everybody. You, were, I told Amy, or I told a few people, but I was definitely telling Amy. I'm like, this was like soldiers out there. I mean, uh, you guys endured the cold for hours, uh, you know, four or five hours. And uh, I was thinking, I was telling Amy this morning, you got, you were all, uh, Sherry was all dressed up like a clown. And um, you did, I'm like, your hands had to be frozen by the time you were done. I'm like, how could she make those balloons after four hours of that? So, I mean, you guys really, literally, you know, Paul says endure hardness as good soldiers. And I just want to commend you all for really t- taking that to heart yesterday. You did a good job. And you know what? We had a lot of guests come yesterday. Um, we had at least 20 families show up that were not regular attenders or members of HBF. And and uh, and people come as far away as Blue Springs, Missouri, come down here to to get in on the harvest party yesterday. And and so I just again I I know you guys have a heart for that, and uh, and it doesn't matter again if you're in the parking lot or you're all around the world. It's all about getting the gospel where it needs to go. And 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 more than that, we also got to open our mouth and share Christ, right? And share share the gospel, of Lord Jesus Christ. And we actually got to sit down with people across our kitchen tables and open up the Word of God and teach them the Bible and build people in the faith. 
And so um, that leads me into where we're going this morning. So this morning, uh, you have a very special guest, Jeff Barker from Brazil, from uh, Canoas, Brazil, or Machias. Depends on how specific you want to get. Um, He has been, man, you've been our friend for almost 20 years. It's hard to believe. And when this was just a Jeff knows us from the first day until now, just about. I mean, we were a baby, baby church the first time we met Jeff. And uh, and and he, Jeff was our first discipleship trip as a group, as a church, uh, where we went as a church and, 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 and uh, taught the philosophy of discipleship to a church. It was to Jeff's church down in Brazil many, many years ago. Myself and Harold Hatman and uh, Bob and Sharon uh, Bolkin, <clears throat> we all got on an airplane. I think it was the first time Sharon had ever flown. And uh, we went down uh, and uh, we taught the philosophy of discipleship, and uh, that was a great time and a good experiment, and, thank, and Jeff was so gracious to have us. And so uh, not long after that, Harold joined, and Ger- Harold was down there for like five or six years, seven years, seven years, and, um, and then uh, Jeff's been back recently, if you've been following, and so we're glad that he's been able to come back and spend some time with us. I don't want to take all of his thunder, but I just wanted you guys to know that uh, Jeff is uh, on the way back, and that's exciting, and when we were talking, I'm like, bro, you got to come up here, you got to preach. And uh, and you guys got to know Jeff uh, Jeff Barker because we have we've been supporting now gosh for I, it's been several years it's probably seventeen years so it's quite a while so praise God so Jeff if you come brother come up and give him a good HBF welcome we want to hear you preach this morning God bless you. <clears throat> Well, good morning. Good to be back. And Brian helped me out, actually, because there's so much to say. I got that intro out of the way. But I remember when you were meeting in the, in the school. That's where you all started, I guess, and uh, got to meet you. And had a good time. Met the family. And I uh, remember going down, having a coffee before service. And strongest coffee I've ever drunk in my life. <laughs> Stronger than anything in Brazil I'd ever had, but it was good. Got me ready to pump the brakes, you know. But <laughs> but it's been really good. I, I've really been blessed by your church. Uh, you aren't just another supporting church. Uh, you are my friends. You're a family. You've invested in the people I, I love in Brazil. You've invested in my life. And uh, through all the ups and downs, and uh, so I appreciate you, and I thank you so much for your faithfulness, not just in supporting uh, financially, but your prayers, your encouragement, uh, and uh, just appreciate you. I mean, many of you probably don't know me, and, and uh, if you maybe want to know a little more about what's going on in Brazil, you can visit my Facebook page, Jeff Barker, and uh, it has the Brazil background on it and everything, so you can check out things that have been happening down there. And uh, but uh, or talk to me, but we have limited time. So, but uh, I, I had the privilege of being a third generation missionary, in the sense that uh, God called my or directed my parent, my grandparents, back in 1956, to go to Brazil. And when they were going on ships, still, and uh, it was three weeks to go down to Brazil, and and so my grandparents and four kids went down to Brazil, and my mother. I was the oldest. She was seven years old, and and uh, in the middle of the ocean, she almost drowned in the swimming pool on the ship. But she made it to Brazil alive, and uh, they served there. And my mother came back to the states, met my father at Bible College, and uh, uh, then they went as missionaries in 1975. I was four years old, so I had the privilege of being raised in Brazil since the age of four, and uh, so Brazil is in my heart. Uh, I speak the language Portuguese fluently. Uh, I love the culture, the people, and uh, God's uh, given me that heritage in my life to be able to work on as he directed me to go back uh, in 2000, and then I actually was able to get to the field in 2003 after deputation and traveling and paperwork and documentation and all the lovely dead red tape that goes on there. <clears throat> but uh, so it's been, it's been a journey uh, these uh, last 20 years or 17 on the field, and uh, you 
you've been part of it since the beginning. And uh, so I thank you so much. And our work uh, there in uh, the city of Canoas, if you look at Brazil, goes down to a point. And at the very bottom down there, there's a state capital of Porto Alegre. And then just a little bit north of the city of Canoas, they're, they're, they border each other. Canoas has uh, right now 310,000 uh, people. Uh, but it's a big metro area of over 2 million uh, people. And so it's a large area, but the cities in Brazil, they're, they're also divided up in little towns within the city that we call bairros. And so our bairro of town is Machias Velho. And so Old, old Matthias is what, the, what it means. In the city of Canoas, which means canoes, because Assyrians came in on canoes in the river and established a settlement way back when, and, uh, and it grew from there. So I was raised in Canoas and uh, uh, had the privilege of seeing the work start there and uh, help my parents and be involved as a teenager. Then came back to the States uh, in, uh, two th in uh, 1990, uh, 91 actually. Uh, came back December of 90, and uh, in uh, 91, I uh, went on to Bible college, Bible school, and, and to study, and uh, I really, I felt in my heart the desire to go back and continue the ministry and continue on what had been left there, because uh, my grandparents were no longer on the field, and my parents uh, had come back also in 90, and so the Lord worked in my life and worked in our life and opened the doors and uh, confirmed the direction in my life to go back in 2000 and went before my church in Springfield and, and uh, um, started a deputation, spent about three years going around the church to church, presenting the field, presenting Brazil, presenting the mission and uh, churches like yours stepped in with me and uh, that's why I've been able to go and that's why we've been able to do the ministry down in Brazil. And uh, we do evangelism in as many ways as we can, uh, discipleship. Uh, we have learned discipleship through uh, your church and, and uh, well, it was Kansas City Baptist Temple, but I don't know what their name is now. But uh, yeah, the, and uh, I did the courses there. But it's through your ministry here, and you came down and you taught our people discipleship, that we understood discipleship, you know, and out there in, in the mainstream, let's say, people see discipleship as just another Bible study. Programming people to be good members of your church. And when you look at the biblical discipleship, it's, it's raising a newborn in the faith until they can walk on their own feet and do the same. That's what Christ said in Matthew 28. And uh, <clears throat> it's been a long process to take a church that was very steeped in its own tradition and and teach that, and teach relationships, and and so, but the Lord is blessed, the Lord is blessed, and we have some good disciples, and uh, we grew uh, these last years, and, and our church was majority teenagers for a long time, and uh, we always worked with kids a lot, but uh, our church slowly, as it grew, has become majority adults, moms and dads, and we started concentrating on reaching the fathers and the, and the mothers and uh, who are the pillars of the home. And through that, establishing the kids. Because we would see the kids at 15 or 16, they're gone. You know, the world pulled them out. Relationships and, and jobs and the pressures of a family who weren't believers. But we saw that when we won one mom and dad for Christ, and they became the spiritual pillars in their kids' lives. And, and the, the kids had more root in the church, more motivation in the church. And uh, we're seeing second and third generation in our church now from concentrating on reaching the family. So God's blessed that. And, and missions, we, uh, we began, this church had never been involved in missions until 2007. And uh, we, we introduced missions. It was quite a different idea. Uh, this church has begun as a mission work. My parents started this church back in 1980. And, but as many churches, as many mission churches, they had over the years just grown used to being the recipient. 
and uh, being the end of the game. Uh, where they were established, got their building, and that's where they stayed. And uh, so when we introduced missions, it was almost a new concept. And uh, to work that in their minds and hearts, understand it was a biblical mandate. It wasn't just an American thing to do. It wasn't just, you know, missionary Jeff's thing to do. And uh, they've caught on to that vision. We now, we now support four uh, Brazilian missionaries. Uh, we have a prison ministry that we support, and it has multiplied into two or three other ministries. Uh, we support uh, a couple in Mozambique, which is one of the nine other nations that speak Portuguese. And um, we support a church planter in mid-Brazil, and he has been responsible for four churches. And we support a young lady who is uh, working <coughs> um, in all the subcultures, if you want to say it that way. She has, uh, she's 26 years old and is working among the slums and the kids. And <clears throat> she's graduated, has a degree, but she, she's with the down and out. Uh, those that most people would turn their face from and, and she goes at them. And uh, uh, she's been to India and she's been to Europe. And now she's learning a new language uh, to go to uh, yet another country. Uh, but uh, God is, so our church has caught on to missions and, and we love these missionaries. Uh, we don't have very many of them, but the four we do have are special to us. And we, they all know them. They've been to our church, spent time with us. And we support missions that reproduce, that believe in fruit and go on beyond themselves. And, uh, you know, God has blessed greatly our church. And uh, we... Back in uh, 2000, 2017, we were preparing to start another church. Our church had grown. We had all the departments, the teen departments, the children's departments, ladies' ministry, men's ministry. We had developed uh, uh, even an outreach to, uh, to uh, the shut-ins and, and the handicapped, and, and all that stuff was going on, and, and uh, we had a good group in D2, and several people discipling and uh 2018 like the lord decided to allow some shaking up to go on and in scripture he he did that a lot with the church um and uh we uh dealt with some sin situations in the church and uh i uh, came down with <laughs> a congestive heart failure in March of 2018. And that was quite a surprise and a blow. Although my family, it runs in my family, and my grandfather had died from it, my uncle had, and I've got some other relatives who are going through it right now also. But I have always been a go at it. I Nothing stopped me. I, I was always at it. Every day I was in someone's home, Every day in the seven Bible, I loved. I was going at it all the time, doing everything. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a bachelor. No, I do my own thing, do all my stuff, buy my food, clean my clothes, and clean my house, and, and uh, <laughs> wash the dishes after three days. Uh, and uh, you know, just had my my life going, and suddenly I found myself not being able to do half or even half of what I was before. Suddenly, I was ask, having to ask for help to even pick up things in my own house. Suddenly, I wasn't able to have the stamina to do all the Bible studies I was doing or discipleships. You think all you do is sit down at a table and study the Bible with them. There's a whole lot more that goes into it than that. It's like, Lord, this was, this was flowing. This was happening. And... and not a matter of questioning God, but I truly believe that God has a purpose in everything that he allows. And I've learned, I'm learning from many years ago, learned. I can either face it with sadness and get frustrated and throw my arms up, or I can say, okay, what is there to learn here? And it isn't easy. I'm not trying to be no super spiritual person 
because I, I did my little fits. I've, you know, I've had my little cries and I've had my little pouts. And, and God the Father, He knows how to give us a little spankings. <laughs> and uh, I know you're not supposed to do that nowadays, but anyhow, Father does. And uh, but there has been quite a few things that God has taught me on this journey. And there's three things that I'd like to share with you this morning. It's a mix of a, of a testimony and a message. Um, and usually missionaries will come and they'll preach strictly on missions. Well, it's going to have a little bit of that too. But uh, with, with Harlan being such a special church in my heart and having stood with me all these years and, and uh, have invested so much, you know, I felt that I could open my heart with you a little more and, and share some things with you. You know, of course, then came along the pandemic. And that has changed everything. But you know what? It didn't catch God by surprise. God has known it. And so God's mission hasn't changed. His plan wasn't affected. And so now we need to, as a church in Brazil, reevaluate, okay, where does the Lord want us to go with this now? Because we're still to preach the gospel. We are still to make disciples. We are still to send. We're still supposed to love. We're still to worship. We just have to find a different way, maybe outside of our little traditional box, to do it. Because God is to be glorified. And he's only glorified when there's fruit. And you only have fruit if you plant. And you only plant when you've got the seed. <clears throat> you know, and, and so we're, we're, we're in that phase right now. When I get back, hopefully in the end of November, I'll be able to sit down with the men and get together and, and set up a plan and look at what we need to change and what we can't do anymore or what we can do or what we need to do different to keep the mission going until Christ calls us. And, uh, but <clears throat> in March of 2018, going back a little bit, <clears throat> I was diagnosed with the heart failure. And uh, I was going through some pretty scary symptoms, and, but I had never had the chest pains that I'd always so heard about. So I just thought it was just fat boy in Brazilian summer having a hard time, so suck it up and deal with it, you know? Well, uh, it turned out uh, it was much worse than that, and... Uh, when I finally went to the, off, the doctor after a lot of urging from my family and church members, <laughs> stubborn pastor, you know, uh, went and uh, they saw my lungs were taken by fluid and my heart was double the size. And they sent me right over to the hospital into the urgent care over there and I spent an afternoon doing all the exams and, you know, bars all over me and x-rays and pills for this and pill for that and they had a nurse with me the entire time and I, at, the, at the time I didn't realize the seriousness of what I was going through because I didn't have all that pain it was just discomfort and you know pressure and lack of breath you know <laughs> I know it's a big deal but <laughs> and uh, but I as they explained things to me I was actually just steps from death they said and in my, I was about to have an embolism, and uh, which would cause respiratory uh, failure. And because my heart was in condition it was, I would not be able to be revived. And it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> Lord's timing is awesome, <laughs> you know, and uh, took care of me. And uh, I was referred to a cardiologist and started getting treated for that, and Three months later, it was just getting worse. It's like, okay, let's get a second opinion here. And I was like, okay, here in Canoas, this is still kind of a, it's a lot of people, the boonies of Rio Grande do Sul. And so, okay, Lord, I go to Porto Alegre, you find a doctor, or is there someone here? And he led me right, I opened up to look for cardiologists in Canoas. And there was a new cardiology center that just opened up in Canoas with a whole team of five specialists. And my first appointment and my first exam with that doctor, he wrote me a letter, sent me to the hospital. 
because I was being intoxicated by the medicine that the other cardiologist had given me. So, so once again, I was just short of going to glory, which, you know, hallelujah, I'm, I'll go there someday, but it wasn't then. And uh, so I spent two days in the stabilization unit, trying to clean that out of my system. And uh, I only stayed two days because it was overflowing. The hospital was half in, in uh, str on strike, and another half didn't have the supplies. And so there were a few beds, and so I had two days in the stabilization unit. And uh, I went home, and two and a half days later, I had to go back to the hospital because I got an infection in the hospital. And uh, my legs and feet had swollen up to balloons, and I was in pain I had never felt in my life. And went back to the hospital and was in the emergency room there under the, the wonderful socialized health for healthcare for all uh, system. I can't believe Americans want that. But, uh, <laughs> okay, politics aside. But uh, anyhow, um, but the amazing thing through all this is, and, and this is not to try to say anything about my, me spiritually, but about God's word, what talks about the peace that passes understanding. Through this entire ordeal, there was a, what people, what most would say, a strange calm over me. Like, I'm all right. I was upset because I, I hadn't got to some of my discipleships and I was missing two or three services. Pastor missing services, you know. I was here in this hospital and had these things stuck in me and, and this oxygen is going up my nose and, and they're like, why am I here? <laughs> and, uh, but in those nine days I was in the hospital, I watched seven people die. I watched seven people die. And I'm not telling you that to talk about the system. As a missionary, I'm there to reach people. I was there to preach the gospel to people. I was there to reach out to them in their needs. I was a pastor of a church, and you attend to your flock, and you see people need, and you attend. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything for any of them. Well, about four of them, four or five of them, they slipped away to death. But two of them, actually three of them, were excruciating deaths. And I'm not going to go into details, but I was like, wow. And, and you know, I started thinking about some things, and, and uh, the Lord really works on your heart. And if you would open with me in Romans chapter 15, and I'm, I'm going to just share with you three or four texts today. I'm not going to expound a lot, but I'd like to share some thoughts, just some basically some three words through the several texts. In, in Romans chapter 15, <clears throat> verses 10 through 13. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah said, saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise <clears throat> to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. If there's one thing that our message and the gospel of Christ can establish in someone's life, it's hope. Now, we, we, must, we make a big mistake in defining hope a lot of times. Well, I hope that that's a question mark there. That's we're, we're in doubt, like a bet. 
Esperança is that active waiting, but it's not a waiting where you're wondering. See, in Brazil, they use the word in the wrong way, just as we do. They go, ah, I always sped, I hope, you know. Well, the hope that the Bible teaches us is not a let's see if, but the hope as expressed in the word of God is, I'm waiting on what was promised and that I believe is going to happen. A God of hope. We don't have to doubt God. God fulfills his word. He's a God of hope. If he has said it, I can wait assured he's going to do it. But it's not just about waiting for. It's to live by. Because here it says abound in hope. So I'm supposed to live that hope. It's not something I'm just holding on to for when it happens. But because it's going to happen, I live according to it. And so every day of my life, Because I have the hope of God and the hope in Christ, I can live the abundant life Christ came to give me. And when I was in that, in that hospital and when I was in an emergency and when I was watching those people die around me, like, wow. I saw desperation, screaming. I saw crying, moaning. And I'm like, wow, Lord, thank you for the hope that I have. I was never once afraid of the disease. I'm not saying that from some big guy. I'm just telling you, the Lord really does, through his hope, give you that peace that passes understanding and establishes in you an assurance that you're going to be okay. Now understand this. Being okay does not mean that everything's going to feel good. Being okay doesn't mean that I was going to get cured. Being okay does not mean that I was going to get through this. Being okay means that I'm in the hands of God. He's in control. And whatever comes out of this, I'm okay. And that, that goes contrary to our humanity and our flesh. But God is faithful. And God is loving. And the hope that he has given us is something that should abound in us. And every day of our life, whatever you're going through in your life, whether it be financial, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be with your children or your job, whether it be with your health, whatever it is, understand that your hope in Christ means that you are okay in God's hands. Trust him in the midst of this. I... When I was in the hospital, I, I uh, was beside a, actually, the, the room, the, the emergency room I was in was set up for 25 beds, and we had about 45 or 50 people in there with the same five nurses trying to attend everybody with the shortness of resources. And so gloves, the same gloves were being used on two or three people, and, and <laughs> it was interesting. And uh, I got moved around two or three times, You know, to try to move the beds and classify different conditions. And, uh, the last place I got was beside a frail, older gentleman named Antonio. 
and he had a respiratory condition. He had already had one lung collapse, and he was having trouble breathing. He was on oxygen. He was going to have to go through another surgery. And uh, but he uh, he would occasionally go into these panics where he would have trouble breathing and trying to gasp for air, and and uh, he would have to sit up, adjust to the oxygen, have a massage on his back until he calmed down to where he could breathe properly and let the oxygen flow. And because there were so many people and so few nurses, uh, the patients were helping each other. And I was right beside him there, and the Lord allowed me to actually do something. And I, I was able to help him about three times or uh, got down off my bed and... Uh, lifted him up, started massaging his back, adjusted his oxygen until he calmed down, and, you know, and, uh, and just like, okay, Lord, thank goodness it wasn't on my watch this time. And uh, but I, had, I developed a conversation with him and was able to witness to him and give him the word. He didn't make a decision, but he has the word. He had the gospel. He had the seed. And when I finally was... was uh, released uh, and I was getting ready to leave he said Mr. Jeff God put you here beside me he knew I was going to need your help and inside I was like wow you just never know you just never know the opportunities God's going to give you to be used in the midst of your worst moments. And I realized, you know, just based on the fact that I have the hope that I have, I am so much better off than anybody else around me in this place where I was at. Because regardless of what happened to me, I knew where I was going and whose hands I was. And I was okay. I didn't want to be in that situation. I wasn't like dancing around saying, you would be, I got a heart problem. <laughs> but you know what? I was okay. And I was able to be used, even if it was just to comfort someone and to share the gospel with them. And the Lord knows his heart, and the Holy Spirit will work on that seed because he's the one that begins to work and performs it to the end. So the next word that I'd like to share with you that has been something I've been learning. I almost, you know, we, we make a mistake many times, get up and say, I've learned that. Uh, the moment you say you've learned it, God say, okay, well, we've got some more to teach about it. So it's like I'm learning. <clears throat> Is actually two words that go together. And it's dependency and sufficiency. with all the training you might get, with all the degrees you might have, with all the talents you may have developed, with all the experience you may have, there comes a point in your life where you realize it's only by God. We are truly so dependent on God. When I was in those moments where I was gasping for air, I was like reaching and I couldn't breathe. It was so tight. And that feeling of agony, you realize no riches, no amount of knowledge or talent or fame or experience means a thing. We depend on him, and he is our sufficiency. Uh, open with me in, in the Second Corinthians. Chapter 12. Some of these passages I know are very known, and but that's what's the amazing thing, and some of the things that the Lord has worked in my life over these last two years, two and a half years with this struggle with my heart, is, is some of the basic things that get 
covered up by all the other stuff in our Christian life. All the good stuff, but it's not the best. And um, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9 is where Paul, he has that thorn in the flesh, and he has pleaded to the Lord three times. And he says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to confess that for many years, I didn't like this verse. I know it was the Lord who said it. I had to accept it. But wow, does it seem like a cold-hearted statement. More so in Portuguese. In Brazil, the, the word that shows up here is basta. It's like, this is it. <laughs> like, wow, Lord. I mean, the, the guy is pleading. He, he's really seeking from you. And you're saying, hey, I've given you enough. Deal with it. That's how we might take this passage. Be careful. Because that is not at all what he's saying in this passage. Because he uses the word sufficient for a purpose. You know, we, 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 sometimes we interchange enough with sufficient. And they're not the same thing. You know, I can fill a glass half full and say, hey, that's enough. But when I fill the glass, it's sufficient. It's not going to hold any more. It's full. Got everything I need there. And God's grace isn't just crumbs to get us by. God's grace isn't that just enough for me to know that God took care of me and that I can handle it. No, God's grace has got all the resources I need, everything within it. And when he looked at Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient. In my grace, you'll find everything you need for your battle and for your struggle. When the Lord saved us, he saved us whole. He gave us it all. He gave us the salvation and, he, and, he, and he, his blood of his son is upon us. We are in the hand of Christ and in the hand of God and we are sealed in the Holy Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God didn't come in parts. He came complete. <laughs> We've got it all in the grace of God. And so no matter what we may face, if we will look through the eyes of God and through the word of God at our situation, we will understand we're okay. Man, those winds are coming. That darkness has fallen on us. Those waves are hitting hard and it feels like that boat's going to knock over and Christ is just surfing on the water. Like, what's the deal? I like to say, you know, People can criticize Peter for having looked to the sides and sunk a few times. He was the only one to get out of the boat. He's the only one in the, in the, in the world history who can say he surfed with Jesus. Because he believed. And he was one of the only one of the, of the apostles to actually see out that it was Christ. When we have our eyes on him, when we keep our eyes on the Lord, when he Keep focused on what he said. And, and, and listen, it may be that tunnel without the light at the end. You may not see what's, where, where this is going. You don't have to. You don't know, have to know how this is going to end. You don't have to know where this is going to take you. You don't have to know what's coming tomorrow. All you got to know is in whose hands you are. And if God has allowed that in your life, he wants to use it in your life. The Bible says that God takes great joy in the death of his saints. So, what? That's mean. God likes when people die? How horrible. Think about it. His children come home. So if the Lord has left me here after my salvation, 
that Rebbe gave his child, if he has left me here, it's because he has chosen to use my life as an instrument in other people's lives. It's not about me anymore. Mine is in glory. I'm seated in celestial places. I'm here for him to use me as an instrument. And so however he wants to hit that hammer, however he wants to screw that, that with that screwdriver, however he wants to saw, however he wants to use that instrument and that, that tool, that's okay. Sometimes it gets dull. Sometimes it gets a chip. Sometimes it hurts. But it's for his glory. Because I'm okay. I know that what I've deposited in him and trusted in him is awaiting me in Christ. He is my sufficiency, whatever you go through. The life that I now live, live not I, but Christ. And the ministry is the same way. The ministry is the same way. <clears throat> and I think besides some of the personal aspects of me trusting the Lord and applying in my own life everything I've taught my people <laughs> about trusting and about, you know, we always use Romans 8, 28. All things work together. And suddenly I'm having to look at that and look, look in the mirror. But it's been good. Because God is so faithful to his word. He, he, our hope abounds and our hope is assured. Our hope is what we can thrive on. And we depend on God, but that doesn't make me some poor uh, uh, invalid. No, because I, can, I have to depend on God, he is my sufficiency. There is nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that he can't use. And if I die or live, I'm with him. And I know it seems simplest, but it's truth. But in ministry, it's the same way. And Matthew 28 is, is the big text many, we many times refer to about missions. And we go to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. You know, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And teaching them to do likewise. But there's a verse before that, verse 18, which is essential. And that verse is Christ says, All power is given unto me, heaven and earth. He doesn't say, All power is given unto you. And for, for a while, I looked at the pastor and said, okay, Christ gets the power and I get to work. What's the deal here? But that's not the deal. Because he has all the power, the mission he has given us can and will be done. What he has told us to do, we can and will do because it is he who does the work in us. And in ministry, one of the things that, as a missionary, you know, you get attached to your people. As a pastor, you get attached to your church. And they're always looking for you for everything. And you are, you know, but your training and your studies and your preparation, you, you seek to, to be able to be everything you can to all your people. And, and, and you feel like a father in many cases. And some of them consider you a spiritual father. And, and you've seen some of these people in my church good number of the people in my church, the men who are helping teach now, most of them, I, I, I won to Christ and I discipled and I baptized them and dealt with their, their families and, and their, their wives and, and their marital status. And, and over the last 10, 12, 15 years, seen the, the, the changes in what God has done. And suddenly, I can't be there for them. Suddenly, I can't resolve issues suddenly my heart is so weak that I can't even think straight I have to process in one thing at a time I can barely get out of the house 
towards the end there to go to a service. I come back to the States. I've been here now 13 months. I planned on three. <laughs> what about the ministry, Lord? The ministry is the Lord's. Those people are his. That's Christ's church. He's the head of it. And if I think I can take care of them, and if I think I can do them good, how about Christ? Those are his people. That's his church. He's the one who wants to teach them. He's the one who wants to love them and encourage them and use them. They're not mine. And that's been one of the, you know, I, I, I've never got, I didn't get married, I don't have kids, so I, I haven't had the experience many of you are, have had or are having of seeing your kids grow up and leave the nest and you having to let them go and to let them make their mistakes. And uh, that's how it feels with the people who are willing to Christ. It's like, I'm having to let go. I'm having to let them grow up. I'm having to let them assume their place and make their mistakes. And I don't want them to make their mistakes uh, and, and do their own thing. I don't want them to do their own thing. Uh, and, and, and realize, God, that's his church. And the amazing thing has been that uh, after I left, I mean, before I left, there was already a group of four or five guys who were helping me in the pulpit and learning to teach and preach, study the Bible. They were very basic. Some of them didn't even get to D2 yet, but were, because we have taught our men that every man is to be a leader, every man is to be a, a priest uh, in his home of his own family and to be able to teach at least direct with the principles of Scripture in their home. Uh, they started taking their places in ministry. And when I left... Uh, these men uh, suddenly just started taking on the responsibilities. And suddenly I'm getting a message here and there, wow, Pastor, I didn't realize you did all this. I didn't realize it took this much. I didn't realize every, every service you did this. Wow, Pastor. It's like, uh-huh, yeah. This is actually getting a little fun. <laughs> but they started taking it on as there. That's who they were. And started seeing God use them. They started studying more of the Bible and teaching and getting more interested in studying more to teach more. And suddenly realizing, wow, I never thought I could even do this. And started taking their place as a ministry and, and witnessing and just yesterday, one of the one of these men, one of the younger ones, he's I say younger, he's thirty some, but where I'm at in life now, he's young. But uh, he he won someone to Christ, and he was just rejoicing because it's Christ's church. And on that, I want to just end with saying the last words or word that really I'm learning to understand is the word endurance or perseverance. It isn't just about me making it through and handling it and dealing with it and, and because of my hope and because Christ is my sufficiency, I will endure. I will persevere whether it's through the storm or over the storm, I don't matter. I'm in his hands. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll close here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God, 
which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He's the one who began a good work. He'll perform it to the end. When I came back last September, I came back under warnings of the specialists in Brazil that there was nothing else that could be done. I came back in a wheelchair. I came back having to consider the fact that I might not see my people again. And uh, began to see the doctors and go to the appointments. And for a short period, things looked like they got better. And then... They just dived. Several things happened and health-wise. And I started having to consider what the Lord wants of this. Because I didn't want to be just stubborn and keep doing it because that's what I like to do. But I didn't want to just give up because I've seen others go through things that are worse. I have been inspired and motivated and blessed by Brother Randy and his testimony. What the Lord is holding him through. Certainly that has made me think a lot of times when I wanted to pout again. And the Lord blessed. And although my heart condition in itself is not reversible, the Lord has allowed me to get the proper medication and have the right configuration in my face maker. And uh, to be able to stand here before you with enough breath to preach and being able to say, I'll be going back to Brazil to see my people again and to continue ministering God's word to his people and to those who we will reach who will be his people. So I thank you for your prayers and your encouragement. But hold us sure to the hope you have in Christ. Understand that he is your sufficiency and you will endure. Pray, Father, thank you. For this time that we've had together in your word for allowing me this opportunity here, Lord, to to share my testimony, a few scriptures. Just thank you for what you've done in my life and your love and your patience with me and allowing me to still be used in some way. Thank you for this church, for Pastor Brian. And I ask that you continue to bless them and use them until you come, Lord. We look forward to seeing you, Jesus. We look forward to being with you, Lord. Until that day, may you use us and, and be play, pleased with our lives. And I thank you, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. That was a good word. Um, I want to say so much. Let's do this. If you're here this morning and uh, you need some hope, Man, this is a, you're in the right place. That was a wonderful word. I was thinking about the passage in Proverbs 25 that talks about how a word is fitly spoken. It's like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Anybody ever seen that passage? That was a word fitly spoken. And, you know, I've always wondered, what's an apple of gold doing in a picture of silver? And it's like, in contemporary terms, it's like a highlighter, right? When you see a word that's important, you take a yellow highlighter like gold and you run a highlighter across it, and then it shows contrast against the white background. And this is a word, this is a message and a minister that's fit, he's a, got a word fitly spoken, and it's a message fitly spoken for I know many in this room. This applies to, I know a lot of you guys are going through different things of suffering and enduring hardness, as I just mentioned before we even started, in different ways. Uh, of course, Pastor Randy and Pastor Jim and many others have been going through different difficult times the last several years uh, even you know we've had a lot of that kind of thing going on and and uh, this is encouraging Jeff for you to come and
really share your heart with us. We appreciate that. And maybe this morning you're here and and you need to, you need the hope that's manifest in the living epistle, like like Jeff Barker. This was a this was not just a message from paper, but it was a message from him in his life. So it's like a living epistle. So when you think of a when Paul says that, you just saw what we, what Paul was talking about. His life is speaking the message, and he's brought it to you today uh, for us to pick it up and respond to that. Right? This is not just a message for Jeff that he's learning. These are things that we are learning. And so maybe this morning God's brought you here to learn that you can have hope in Christ, and that hope is not something that you wish for, but something that you can actually rest in and something that you can int- uh, obtain and you can know for sure that you have what you need in Christ. So if you're here this morning, you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. I've, I've spoke to people the last few weeks. Some of them aren't here today. That, are, that as they leave the building, they're, they're wondering, they're wrestling with what it is to be covered in the blood, to have that assurance, to know that they're saved. And if you don't know that you're born again, you need to know that. You need to know that your hope is in Christ and what that really means biblically and what he's done for you before you were even born so that today you could call upon his name in faith and receive the gift of eternal life. You can't work your way into his grace. You have to receive it as a gift, and God wants to give it to you. Uh, so all you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But you got to know him and the power of his resurrection. You got to believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You got to be willing to, to really come to faith in Christ and believe in him. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if you're here today and you want to know in the Bible how you can ha- know him in a personal way, we invite you to that. And uh, I'm not going to do the normal head bowed and eyes closed thing, but I do want you guys to know that uh, we are here for you. And uh, if you're here this morning, let's do that. Go ahead and bow your head. Let me, let me, I changed my mind. I repented. Uh, let me, 